Praise the Lord. I really want to welcome our bishops and overseers and senior administrators who are here as well. Thank you for being with us. And thank Barcelona to all of you. You people always surprise me. I don't know how to say it. You, your intense love for God and your thirst for the things of God make some of us go home and pray more. <laughs> because I say, when God moves in people's hearts and you come around and play with that opportunity, then you don't know what you're doing. I'm grateful for the testimonies we've heard and how God is moving in the lives of people. And tonight I'm going to share something I shared before, but I'm going to add other aspects to it, and I'd like for you to internalize it. Like someone mentioned here, this year, and of course the next three years, is the year of grace, growth, and gratitude. Tonight, I want to talk a lot more about the grace of God. The grace of God for you as an individual, the grace of God for you as a family, why it matters. Now I want to talk about the manifestations of the grace of God. Now I want to use 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 9 as the text we want to read. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at another one and say it like you believe it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I'll continue reading. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. Note, he's saying it second time now. For the grace of God. He says, grace to you. I thank God for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Let me just remind you of something we said before and for the benefit of those who were not here when I shared on this and as well for those of you who may not really understand the background of all of this. The letter we've written is a letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth. Paul had gone to Corinth after having preached in Athens. And when he was in Athens... He went into the synagogues and his approach in trying to spread the message of the gospel in Athens was to reason with the Jews and Gentiles. And so he went daily in the marketplaces, went daily to the synagogues and tried to reason with these people about the gospel. You see that in Acts 17, 17. I won't read it. And the reason he did that is because when he came to Athens... He was very troubled as he observed people go about their daily business. 
He noticed these people were people steeped in superstitious beliefs. And people were worshipping all kinds of gods. And Paul, trying to talk to them out of this practice, he started debating with them and trying to make a case for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as much as this approach of spreading the gospel, we also can use. But you note in the way Paul reports about this particular incident that he wasn't very successful in doing so. And just after Athens, he went to Corinth. And then he decided, I think when I come to Corinth, my next missionary destination being Corinth, I have just to use a different strategy. Instead of me sitting down and arguing with people, trying to convince them, let me have a different approach altogether. So he writes to them, the people in Corinth, and he reminds them of his first visit. And he explains what his approach was. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 5. And I read the New King James Version. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, Look, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear and in much trembling. And yet my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But my speech and my preaching was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul said, instead of me sitting down and reasoning with you and getting into arguments, what I did was I ministered in the power of God. And my preaching was accompanied by demonstration of the spirit and of power. And the reason for that is that verse 5, that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he's saying this to the people in Corinth, because Corinth on its own was a different kettle of fish. These are the people who were so different, who, who were steeped in so many kinds of things that approaching them with a gospel that wasn't laced with God's power would be a waste of time. The church in Corinth, when it was born through Paul's preaching, was born in an atmosphere of signs and wonders. And Paul attributes all of that to the grace of God. Says it was all because of the grace of God. Now, you need to understand this. You won't understand Paul's statements if you don't understand what Corinth was and what these people were. Corinth was a very interesting place. It was one of those places that had been taken over by Rome, had been plundered by Rome, but they rebelled against Rome. And when they rebelled against Rome, Rome plundered them, set them, and destroyed them. Everything in Corinth was left in ruins. For hundreds of years, everything was dead. Everything lay in ruins. And in AD 44, Julius Caesar came into power. And when he came into power, he then conceived this vision to rebuild this Corinth, which was in ruins. Most of it was in ruins. And the reason he wanted to rebuild it is because as much as it is in ruins, where it was geographically located was a very important location. Because this location would be a great location for business. It was located in a specific, very interesting place wherein they could connect the north and the south of Greece. 
Because Corinth had a place that is called a land bridge. They call it an isthmus. And this particular land bridge would connect this, the south and the north. Also, they had a port on the east and on the west. And therefore, Corinth would be accessible from the east and from the west. So even though Julius Caesar wanted to rebuild this city of Corinth, there was nothing there. It was just ruins. So he looks at this place. He sees potential in it. And so he thinks, if I'm going to rebuild this, I've got to get people to come in here and join me. I've got to attract people to love Corinth and rebuild Corinth. So he calls on people whom we would call investors. And he says to them, if you come here, help me rebuild Corinth. Invest here. You can become shareholders. So what does he decide? He decides, well, if I build this place, I've got to make it attractive. I've got to decide what I've got to do in this place. The first thing he decides is that I'm going to dedicate this new Corinth that I'm going to build to the goddess Aphrodite. The reason is that Julius Caesar himself, it is said, believed that he was a direct descendant of the goddess Aphrodite. The goddess Aphrodite was the goddess of sex and the goddess of sex work. So Julius Caesar, in rebuilding Corinth, he wanted to build a city where in-sex work could be embraced, where all kinds of sexual expressions could be had, and he could sell that. And the people that he approaches are people who are sailors, soldiers, and legionnaires. Legionnaires, these were highly trained professional soldiers who led a legion of about 3,000 to 4,000 men. And these are leaders of leaders. So he goes to people who are sailors, he goes to people who are soldiers, he goes to legionnaires. We are told in reading history that soldiers, sailors, and legionnaires of these days were people who had no moral conduct whatsoever. These people had no, you couldn't rely on them in terms of morality. These are people who live far from their homes, they were away from their wives, away from their families, sailing to go and make business, and wherever they went, they would engage in all kinds of sexual expressions and they did all kinds of things and so he appeals to these kind of people who are soldiers legionnaires who are who are also sailors and he says you can become the rebuilding fathers of Corinth not only that I'll also give you tax incentives I'll make sure that I make tax concessions for you and if you move here if you come here and help me to rebuild this city, you'll really be great people. Secondly, he wants to build this city because uh, this city was also committed to alcoholism. I heard somebody, several people talking about alcohol. I'm glad I'm always talking about booze because it's helping people to get out of booze. We have a problem of alcohol in this country. Ah, yeah, your amens are far and few, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. You are not only into Bev or Beverly. We will unbev you or unbevly you. But you see, alcoholism has always been a problem of civilization. And people hide in alcohol, drown themselves in alcohol. Corinth was a place like that. Corinthians drank a lot. In fact, they drank so much alcohol that in some of the modern-day excavations of Corinth, they've actually discovered that in some of the houses that were built, at the bottom of these houses, where you would find a cellar, these guys had huge containers which contained alcohol. So when the Corinthians had drank everything they had bought from the tavern, they would just open the bottom of the floor and just go for some more there. 
So the city was known for alcoholism. In fact, we are told that in these days, people used to use the name Corinth as a mockery. When they called you a Corinthian, they actually were saying that you're a drunkard. Instead of saying you're a drunkard, they say you Corinthian. Thirdly, when Julius Caesar wanted to rebuild Corinth, it's because of these two ports on the west and on the east, which were not far from Corinth. Boats would come from the west and from the east, and they'd bring people on this land. So it was a good place for tourism. People would come to Corinth who came from all cultures, so would bring their gods, they'd bring their cultures, they'd bring their merchandise, but most of all, because it was a place, they would come there for fun. It was just like Las Vegas, you know. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so the people would come there just to indulge. And when you have a place that is a melting pot of cultures, once you have people come from everywhere, then everybody throws caution to the wind. Because after all, when you are there, nobody knows who you are. And nobody cares. So, it was a place like that, a place of revelry, a place of drunkenness, a place of evil, a place of committing sin, and these were the people who were in Corinth. But the fourth thing as well, it was because this isthmus that was there, this land bridge, it helped cargo with easy transportation. Because we are told that boats had to sail all the way around, but when they came to Corinth, they could have that as a shortcut where they would come to this land bridge offload their cargo and the boat on the other side of the land would pick up the cargo and take it to its final destination and so i mean it was an attractive place and so this corinth became a place wherein julius caesar could be able to do something so they constructed this isthmus they did all these kind of things and it became a good place and finally number five Corinth as well, not far from it, was a small little city called Isthmias. Isthmias is the place where the athletic games took place. And if you look at people in these days, they were very huge on athletic competitions. You know, So they had these huge big arenas where athletic competitions would happen and all kinds of things. And the spirit of competitiveness, therefore, became part and parcel of the Corinthian culture. People there were very conscious of their looks. They were really great in being athletes, and they really loved being competitive. And so Corinth, therefore, being one of the largest cities that was closest to this small city that hosted these uh, Olympics, it became a town that was favored. So, I mean, Corinth became a buzz of activity. So, you know, Julius Caesar did a great job, but it was a place buzzing with activity, but full of a lot of evil. So, when Paul came to Corinth, okay, if these are the Corinthians, right, if you're going to start a church there, right, okay, there's no way you can import people who are nicer from somewhere. You just have to start with the very people. And the people in Corinth, remember as well, not only did they do all these kinds of things, they came with all kinds of worship styles, all kinds of gods. There were all kinds of temples there. Excluding the temples of this goddess, Diana, they had the, 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 the other temples where they worshipped foreign gods. And they would get into all kinds of spirituality and spiritual antics there. And so Paul starts a church, and he starts a church with these people. So he starts a church with these people. Who are them? Former adulterers, former drunkards, former swindlers, former extortioners, eh? people full of demons. These are the people he's starting the church with. 
And so these people, when they listen to Paul, right, the power of the gospel is so much that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Can I, can I hear a good amen? That, that, that's why there's hope for everybody. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what people say about you. The power of the gospel is able to change anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So when Paul begins to preach, he starts preaching in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And the people of Corinth get born again. They repent. They followed Christ. But we all know that even when people repent, they carry some of their, their baggage from the old life into their new life. They were saved, but they still had some bad habits, had some bad patterns, had some wrong thinking. They carry all these problems into the church. And that's why when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll note several instances where Paul is challenging these people. Even in 2 Corinthians, he's challenging those people. Why? Because they had lots of problems of carnality. He deals with issues of immorality, adultery, lying, idolatry, fornication, drunkenness, all kinds of things. But the grace of God still was able to wash and cleanse these people. Now here's what I like the most. Very interesting that in all the churches that Paul dealt with, in all cities where he planted churches and spread the gospel, the church in Corinth was the only church that was far ahead in the expression of the gifts of the Spirit. It is only to the church in Corinth where Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the offices that are there. It is only to the church in Corinth. All other churches, in spite of how great they were, they left behind. It is only to the church in Corinth when Paul wrote he says to them, you come behind in no gift. You are so full of the gifts of the Spirit. God is moving so powerful. It's only in the church at Corinth where Paul writes a letter and says, look, when you meet and the Spirit of God is moving, this is how the service must be conducted. There's no other church that had that expression of the power of God. No other church that had such a move of the Spirit as the church in Corinth. But interesting enough, it is the very church that was, had some of the most evil people in their background. It's a church that was planted in one of the most rotten places in comparison to the others. And Paul says, you know what? All I see is the grace of God. He says, If it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be where you are. That's why when I write to you, I thank God. For the grace. That's why luckily do many sakiri grace from God. And I say peace from God our Father. And I see your grace. Paul writes in a language that these people understand. He writes in a language that they, having come from a Greek and Roman background, they understood. I love the way Paul writes. Because he had a way of communicating the truth of God's word at a level that people can understand. He uses the word grace, which in Greek is the word charis. It's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. And he says, I see the grace of God in your life. Tell your neighbor, I see the grace of God in your life. Now listen to this. In the series that we have been doing, I've been making a point that every family, every home, has a certain grace that comes from God. Every family lineage 
carries a certain trademark that is God's mark on their life. Certain distinctive, certain dominant features that characterize your family lineage. But most families never live out the reality of that. And because they allow Satan to interrupt what God wants to do. The purpose of my teaching tonight is for you and me to recover what God wants to do in our family lineages. That as we exit 2023 and enter into 2024, there will be a restoration of the grace of God. But let, I want to describe what that grace looks like. Because the grace of God is something tangible. The grace of God is something that you can see. The grace of God is something measurable. The grace of God is something that is transformative. I want to describe it to you so that as you walk around in 2024, you look around and you will see the grace of God everywhere in your life. In fact, I have a suspicion that already there is the grace of God that is surrounding you. You may not even be aware of it. And I say this because if grace could transform the lives of the Corinthians, there's no reason why we can't believe that all of us can be transformed by the life grace of God. Because no matter how much wrong you've done, you, we don't come anywhere close to these guys in Corinth. Here's what I like. It means then God, in spite of the evil background, he's able to supersede our background. And that even people who come from wrong backgrounds have the capacity to receive so much of the grace of God. On condition, they turn around and they change. Look at somebody say, I see the grace of God on you. Tell three people, tell three people, I see the grace of God. I see the grace. Now, this word grace was used in the secular Greek world. It was not a Christian word or a Bible word. But it was used by Greeks who believed in many gods. And they used the name word grace to describe a touch of the gods. And write gods with a small g. This is only Jehovah God who is capital G. The Greeks believed in many gods and they believed that when the gods touched you, it gave you grace or favor. So grace means a touch of the gods. Grace means you've been touched by the gods. Listen carefully. When grace touched you, they believed it did something. It didn't just touch you. It didn't just make your life better. But when grace touched you, it became an empowering touch. Grace, they believed, was an empowering touch and an empowering presence that transformed you. So when grace touched you, it gave you abilities that you previously did not have. Grace. And so Paul uses that to talk about the touch of God. He says, Corinthians, you, you who were drunkards, Legioners, you, who were extortioners, Luna, who were filled with demonic powers. When, when God touched you, you, you were so different. 
There's no comparison between what you used to be and what you became because of the touch of God. And that's the same thing that's going to happen to you and your family in the name of Jesus. You will not be able to compare yourself, what you know about you, and what God has done. This word, secondly, was also used not only to describe the touch of the gods, but to describe a magical touch. In other words, they say people who came under grace were under a magical spell. You came under such a medical spell that you were totally transformed. You were so transformed that after you were touched by grace, you thought different, you acted different, but even most importantly, you demonstrated supernatural abilities that you didn't have before. (laughs) And this is the grace. And Paul uses this word To explain to us what the touch of God looks like. This touch of God that came about among these people. Who rightfully should be the outcasts. These people who rightfully shouldn't be walking in the power of God. But when grace came on their house, on their lives, they were touched. So watch this. Write this down. The grace of God, therefore, is not silent. The grace of God, therefore, is not invisible. The grace of God, therefore, is tangible. The grace of God, therefore, is manifested. Let us explore that. The grace is not invisible. The grace is not silent. The grace is tangible. It's manifested. So let's know the following things. Number one, grace is given and not earned. Grace is given and not earned. And yet it becomes seen in a visible way. Note what it says in the scriptures we've read. 1 Corinthians 1, 4. It says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ. Grace is given. You don't work for it. It's given. But when it is given, you have to receive it. It only works when you receive it. See, when we make an altar call and we say to people, come, like the brother who said in October, come. The connoisseur? Former connoisseur. When we said come, it was his choice to either stay in the seat or walk to the front to receive the grace of God. Yeah. Grace is freely given, but it must be received. But you don't work for it. Are you there, somebody? So this grace, this charis, is the empowering touch of God, note Bazalang, that always comes in some type of visible, demonstrated manifestation. As we said, it's not silent. It's not something that you just mentally accept. It's not just a doctrine that you spew out. 
But when God puts his grace, you act different, you think different, it's manifested. And so Paul says, in your case as Corinthians, I notice that among you, you have the gifts of the Spirit. And these gifts of the Spirit, watch this, have come by the grace of God. What does it mean? When grace fills you up, it spills over. And it spills over in certain things that manifest in your life. In fact, in Acts 18, 1 to 18, Paul talks about how he had been in Corinth and how he had seen that grace. And in chapter 2, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians, he says, when I came to you, Corinthians, I came with demonstration of the spirit and of power, not note. The word demonstration there means to point at something in order to draw attention. <laughs> when I came to you, Corinthians, I preached to you the message of the cross. I presented to you the power of God and the grace of God. And as I gave the grace of God, God started bringing demonstration. He started visibly delivering people from demonic powers. Causing people who were drunkards to be sober. You could see Gutilento. And God had to demonstrate. God had to visibly show that what I'm preaching is working. In other words, Paul is saying, when I was preaching, God was authenticating the message. It was the message that was confirmed with signs and wonders. It says, I, I didn't just preach and speak to you with words of wisdom, but my preaching was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. It says, Unkulukulu, we authenticate lom liars with signs and wonders. And the reason is that, verse 5, so that your faith should not rest in my wisdom, but it must rest in the power of God. Listen to me, Barcelona. When people experience the power of God, they may argue with everything you are saying, but they cannot argue with the power of God. Oh, are we talking to people in the house? When people have experienced the transformative power of God, even if you may not know how to express yourself, what they cannot take away from you is, I once was blind, but now I see because of the grace of God. Paul never forgot this. To an extent that even in his second letter to the Corinthians, he refers to it in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I'm an apostle. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. The word signs refers to the demonstrations of supernatural powers. Paul says that this grace came with signs and wonders. The word wonder speaks on an event that leaves one baffled, bewildered, astonished, and at a loss of words. Hey, watch out, Barcelona. God is about to do something in your life that's going to leave people baffled, bewildered, astonished, and at a loss of words. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to describe it. You don't know what to say. Unkulunkulu leaves you speechless. There was such a demonstration of, of the power of God to an extent that the Corinthians turned from their godless living to the living God. Because when they heard the preaching of the gospel, they didn't hear an intellectual message that entertained them. They heard a message that came in supernatural power, in things that they couldn't, could see, in gifts of the spirit that were manifested. 
In other words, when the grace of God touches us, it makes us different to what we have been. You can see that we're no longer the same people. Now note, sometimes the change may not happen immediately, but gradually you will see measurable change, visible change. Like some of you have heard said, gradually, bit by bit, it's the grace of God that is working in your life. Hallelujah. What does this mean? This means this, Barcelona. The more we stay under the preaching of the word, and I'm glad that the testimonies attested to that. As people listened to the word, not one sermon, not two sermons, but many sermons. Not one service, not two services, but two services. Not one prayer, not two prayers, but many prayers. The more you stay under the grace of God, that we are here tonight, that we are here tonight, we are not wasting time. That we are here tonight, we are staying under the grace of God and the power of God. And this grace is about to influence and transform things in our lives. Changes us in the way we think about the future. It changes us in terms of our vision and our mission. It changes us in terms of what we do in our lives. It changes us. Takes us from being people who are losers to people who are being victorious. It changes us from being gloomy people to being people who are full of joy. It changes us. When this grace comes, it changes us. So number one, grace when it comes to us, is given. We must receive it. Secondly, grace is measurable. Is measurable. What do you mean? There are different levels of grace when you read the Bible. In Acts 4.33 says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And note the next expression, and great grace was upon them all. Oh, let me prophesy tonight. I see great grace. Yeah, great grace on your life. You see, that expression, great grace, speaks of the effects of grace. Watch. We said the word grace means charis. Great grace. Or you can call it a mighty touch of God. When great grace came upon the disciples and the apostles, when you read further, their ministry changed. When they preached, more people got saved. When they preached, signs and wonders were done. There was great grace. So, I see great grace on your life. Ah, I can't hear you. I said, I see great grace on your life. Yeah. You can measure it. You can see that I'm not the same person. You can see there's more at work here. Number, f- number three, grace not only is it given, not only is it measurable, but grace is visible. Is visible. In Acts chapter 11, verse 23, the Bible tells us about Barnabas going to Antioch, the church in Antioch. Note what it says there in verse 23 of Acts 11. And he came and he saw the grace of God among the Antioch people and he was glad. Wow. So it says that Barnabas saw the grace of God. In other words, grace is something that can be seen Something that can be witnessed. You know, when somebody has a special favor of God, yeah. always, it looks like everything they touch turns to gold. Yeah, how many of you would like to have that touch? Everything you touch just turns to gold. Yeah. yeah. 
In other words, grace is not just something that we believe. It's something that we can see and can be testified among them. 2024, instead of your family moving from bad to worse, instead of tragedy being part of your family, I see grace on your family. Grace on your family. Because grace not only does it is it sin, it makes life better. But grace also causes you to be preserved where you should be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. When you are supposed to be destroyed, somehow grace says, I call now. They're not going to be. They did something foolish, but I'm going to preserve them because of grace. Hey, I see grace upon your life. I see your family being, being preserved by God. Family being preserved by God. You know, I always remember this story, and I will never forget this story. Never, never forget this story. My, my friend, uh, Pastor uh, Apostle Kenneth Makopo, who came and preached here, he tells a story when he was in Harankua that uh, they were trying to operate some electrical equipment and, 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 and it wasn't working, you know. I think it was a light they were trying to connect or something, I don't know. And they had this thing in the plug, you know, in the, in the socket, wall socket. So, so you, know, you know, sometimes when we grow up, we grow up with these fads of when you test something, you, you put it on your tongue. I don't know how many of you remember that. I don't know how many of you remember that. I don't know how many of you remember that. So he said, so they, 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 they actually unscrewed the the, 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 the wires, you know, the blue one and the red one. Right, yeah, that's the life and the neutral, you know. And then he put it on his tongue. Yeah. And nothing happened. But then as he put it down, the two wires touched and a spark went out and, and there was the electricity tripped. Now when he did this, I'm telling you, come on. That's the nice thing about grace, Basala. That when, when you are supposed to be destroyed, God just keeps you. I see the grace of God upon your life. See the grace of God upon your life. Yeah. yeah. I always think about it sometimes when you are supposed to have been somewhere. And you didn't go. And all of a sudden you hear about something bad that happened there. And you remember that morning when no first day Lord Sama. Oh, you got delayed. Can you that I'm always talking about that story? When we got delayed, when we were coming back from a, 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 a secunda, got delayed for one hour, got delayed, got delayed. Finally got on the road. When we got to a specific spot, there had been an accident there just an hour before. Had we left at that time, we would have been at the exact, exact spot. Yeah, I see grace on your life. Yeah, grace on our lives. Number what? Number four. Grace imparts to us spiritual gifts. And I wanted to talk to you uh, musicians today from this. It says, heaven then gives differing according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. It talks about prophecy, all kinds of gifts. There are gifts that are given. One of the gifts that God gives musicians is the gift and the ability to compose new songs. As I was listening to you sing, I just 
felt in my heart. I believe you're going to move into that in 2024. <laughs> Compose new music. But Sanana, it's a grace to be able to write new songs. It's a grace. It's a special grace. And the Bible tells us that these gifts in Romans 12, gifts that encompass all sectors of life, leading, administration, prophecy, gifts that have to do with showing grace, gifts that have to do with people who are in business, all sectors. Romans 12, 6 says, we have gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. So, whatever gift you have, note it came by the grace of God. Watch this. And because it came by the grace of God, it means several things. One, it means you didn't have to work for it. But number two, it means you can find full expression of it and you can go to heights that others cannot go into because it is your grace. Number three, it means that gift has a special empowering presence of God and gives you abilities that are beyond the normal, beyond the ordinary. It's like you're under a spell. When you watch people perform at their optimum, I've watched people who are in music, people who love music, who may be, you know, conductors or, or, or composers or people who play a special instrument. Sometimes when you watch them, it's like they go into a spell. It's like they just get lost in a certain world. And when they are lost in this world, they bring up the best kind of music you can ever hear. Sometimes they close their eyes and they go into their space. And this is what happens in all fields. I know myself, when I'm at home, there's times when the anointing for preparing a sermon comes on me. You know, usually I pray and I have private time. But there's times when I'm just doing everything, Jenna and Jenna, from nowhere, all of a sudden I get a sermon. From all the studies I've made and all the books and the research, and I get a sermon and it just comes together. And what I've learned is not to ignore that. When that happens to me, when that spell comes upon me, I just stop and I go away to my corner. I was just saying, when that spirit comes on me, I just go into my corner and I note that when that anointing comes on me, I can't postpone its manifestation. If I postpone or delay, when I try to get into the same zone, I can't connect to the same level. So the best way not to forget, either I will record, you know, I will record it or I'll write it down. But I have to go away and when I'm in that zone, I don't want anyone to disturb me. I'm in the zone. See, it's a grace. It's a grace. It's a grace. Some of you in business, ideas can come. How to make your business bigger, how to grow more. Ideas come. As a parent, sometimes God gives you that grace about a troublesome child and all of a sudden, you can know what to do. Hey, what's Trying to help you. Most people haven't understood how this grace works. Number five, grace fifthly dominates our lives. I love this one. I love this one. And causes us to become builders. It takes grace to build. Ah, I tell you, I have so appreciated this point 
as I've looked around in the last few years, I used to take for granted the ability to be able to build things. I've realized not everybody has the grace to build. To build, you need a special grace. Whether you are building a church, you are building a home, you are building a physical building, you are building a career, you are building a family, it takes grace. There's many people who can build. Many people can ride on what has been built. Not everybody knows how to start things from grassroots. Not everybody knows how to start where there's nothing. There's nothing to start Hosanna Nicks and build from there. It takes grace. I'm telling you. It takes grace. Most people are able to come on something that's there, but suggest Bari. There are people who have a grace of building. No, 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 no. No, no, Barcelona. And I'm not saying, I'm saying we need them. You need those people. You need them. But they must understand Lebona. They don't have a grace to build. They must let others help them build. Because the grace to build, Barcelona, you have special insights as to what makes things work. To start something at rudimentary level, when there was nothing, when you bought an empty site and there was no building, no building, no money, only a vision. To come to a place where there's no church, no church, nothing. Or it's a small church. Business, is, there's not much profit. You come in there and you take it from there, take it. It's a grace. It's a grace. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. Hmm? Grace gives you the ability to be a wise master builder. It says, I laid the foundation. And foundation laying is the most difficult thing. I tell you. And starting something on foundation level. Oh, foundations are the most difficult. They're the most expensive part of the building. They're the most troublesome part of the building. And foundations are the determinant of the type of building that's going to be built. Build a good foundation, you can have a good building. Build a sloppy foundation, sloppy building. It takes grace. It takes grace. That's why many people can't build things that stand. They go through episodes of things that come up. For a while. But what they're building is not sustainable. But I see 2024 being a different year for you in the name of Jesus. The grace to build. The grace to build. The expression according to the grace of God which is given to me can be better translated from the original language and this is how it reads. Being dominated by the touch of God in my life, I became a wise master builder. Wow. In other words, when the grace of God came and when it dominated Paul, it equipped him as an apostle to become a wise master builder. This means when the grace of God came upon him as an apostle, he could see what he couldn't see before. He knew how to construct. He knew how to lay the foundation of the church. These are things that previously he didn't understand. He didn't have knowledge of them. He didn't know how to do them. But when grace came upon him, it transformed him. It gave him divine equipment so that he could function as an apostle. It empowered him and equipped him. Building is something that is not a small feat. Building needs wisdom. Proverbs says it is by wisdom that a house is built. 
This is why whenever God calls you into something, he imparts to you the grace to build. When God anoints you and assigns you to something, he will always give you the grace to build. So if God hasn't assigned you, you are not going to have the grace to build. And this is why people don't understand the importance of doing what God has assigned you to do. Because if he didn't assign you to do it, he's not going to give you the grace to build it. Can I hear an amen in that? I see the grace operating in your life. I, see, I said I see the grace operating in your life. Number six, number six. We are getting there, we are getting there. Number six. Grace reshapes us, molds us, forms us to do great things for God. I see you doing great things for God in 2024. I see your family doing great things for God in 2024. You see, some of you don't believe it. I said, I see you doing great things for God. 2024. Grace molds you, shapes you, forms you to do great things for God. Udon Paul Ari in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hey. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God. Paul says this empowering presence of God brought to me abilities I didn't have before. I could work and bring permanent, lasting change to make a difference. Paul says, watch what he says. When he says, I am what I am, what he means is that I am what I am, but I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> hey, I have shifted. I've moved. I'm not the same person. I'm not the one who used to be the one who couldn't build. I'm not that one who didn't know how to make things work. I'm not that one who used to get stuck in anything. I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, the grace that touched me changed me into a different person. Lived, left me a different person. Gave me the ability to be able to do things and labor more abundantly. And I can do great things. But no, no. It takes grace to do great things for God. And number seven. I love this. Grace comes in overflowing proportions. Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able. God is able. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. You see, some of you, you are not even saying amen, and that's why the grace will not abound. I don't know about you, but I need overflowing grace in my life. I've got to have a lot of grace. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. Let me, let me, let me, let me unpack it for you. The word abounds describes a river that is overflowing. This means God wants to make his grace to be an overflowing river in our lives. The reason for that is that he wants you to have sufficiency in all things. In other words, God empowers you to meet the challenge that is at hand. Whatever 
the necessity that the situation requires, you will be able to live up to it because of the grace of God in your life. In other words, this grace not only touches you, it empowers you, it equips you, it makes you to be equal for the task, it matches you up with the challenge pound for pound. In other words, when grace is on you, no matter how big your assignment, you are the right woman for the task. You are the right man for the task. Can I hear an amen? When they give you a job, when they give you a position at work and you think you can't do it, may the grace of God overflow and make you to be able to meet the challenge. Somebody shout hallelujah in the house. Oh yeah. 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 When they send you to do something and about enough budget, but they still want you to succeed. I see the grace of God overflowing. Hey, I, I said I see the grace of God overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. Somebody shout hallelujah. And finally, every person has grace imparted to them. And no one is left out. You get your neighbor and say you are not left out, neighbor. Tell them again, neighbor, you are not left out. Tell them again, neighbor, you are not left out. Tell them, God didn't leave you out, neighbor. Tell them, God also thought about you, neighbor. Yeah, you are not left out. Mamelam, Bazalan, Mamelam, Mamelam. I ask you that in 2024, don't live with a sense of always looking at the other people and saying the grass is greener on the other side. I pray that you will look around your life and see that the grass is also green where you are. Ah, you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm saying. I said the grass is also green where you are. I said the grass is also green where you are. Oh! Listen what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, as every man has received the gift. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every man, every man, every man, every man has received grace. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has received. Yeah, you have received grace. It's just that you may not be aware, Mara, you have received grace. And it says, because you were not left out, you were given this charisma that God touched you. God put a spell on you. You're not the same person anymore. You have abilities you never had before. You function at a level that you never thought you could function before. And this grace is overflowing like a river. You are equal for the task, pound for pound, no matter how big. Because you've received grace, he says. Everyone who's received this grace, he says you need to minister the same grace. In other words, leverage your grace. Leverage what God's given to you as good steward. Not Bazalan. That expression, the manifold grace of God, it means the multifaceted grace of God. What does it mean? It means this grace that you have received has different manifestations. It appears in many different ways. It comes in different flavors. It shows up as power. 
Oh, it shows up as gifts. Oh, it shows up as new character. Oh, it shows up as new temperament. Oh, it shows up as spiritual manifestations. Oh, it shows up as leadership. Oh, it shows up as spiritual gifts. This gift comes in different packages in different ways to match the task. It comes in sundry ways, in different expressions. But the reality is that it's never silent. It's never quiet. It is always visible. It is always demonstrated. You have been touched by the grace of God. May 2024 be your year of moving in the grace of God. And may this grace be with you in your career. May this grace manifest in your home. May this grace manifest in your spiritual life. May this grace manifest in your finances. May this grace manifest in your body, in your health. May this grace manifest in your walk. May this grace manifest in your career. May this grace manifest in your vision. Grace, 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 give it to you in Jesus' name. And it's the grace of God that's upon our lives. And the grace of God that will move us forward. And the grace of God that will carry us.